Daniel chapter 6 this morning, Daniel chapter 6. Thank you, Pastor, for having me. I'm always happy to be invited to come and preach. My dear wife is here with me, Amy, and we were married in 1991, and she's been partner in life and partner in ministry. She's still the principal of our Christian school at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Corona, Owasso area, and we had the privilege of pass, uh, planting and pastoring that church for over 20 years, and now I've been on the road for several years traveling for the Bible Nation Society, BibleNation.org, and we are, we are striving to be a think tank, a fundamentalist think tank. That doesn't seem to go together all the time, but we're striving to be a fundamentalist think tank and take the good fundamentalist thought that we fundamentalists have in our pulpits and our churches and share it in the uh, decision-making rooms and at decision-making tables where, where people are discussing the issues of the day. Because no longer uh, does everybody have a Bible or everybody know what biblical truth is. And so we've been striving to do that for about 15 years now, and I've been full-time at it for about three. I keep an office uh, at the church, and um, I'm having a great time. I've been in about 150 churches over the last few years. I've run for office a couple of times. Some of you voted for me. Thank you uh, for that. Um, but uh, we're right now battling uh, issues with our governor, Michigan Civil Rights Commissioner, Attorney General, uh, on the expansion of hate crimes and LGBTQ rights as civil rights. And um, basically, the Michigan Civil Rights Commission is keeping a list of people's names who don't agree with them. And so we've come kind of to the end of religious liberty in our nation, and so we're, we're battling that battle. And so Pastor and I just got together recently, and we were talking about these issues, and he says, man, I really want to share these issues with the church. And so I thank you, brother, because uh, it's scary. It's getting scary for pastors because you don't know who's in the pew, and you don't want to offend people. And, and so thank you for meeting for Sunday school. We threw a big uh, glass of cold water uh, on you with some really heavy and, and negative things, but they're things that have to be defined and spoken in the church. God's commissioned me to do that, so there's really no apologies there. But we've given you the ugly. Let's give you the beautiful, okay, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. The Bible says, Please Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. I want to preach to you today about serving Christ with an excellent spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for spring. <laughs> for its chill, for its crispness. We thank you for the sunshine today. Lord, we thank you for spring break, for vacation. Lord, it's a joy to be able to be here at Fostoria today and minister to the beloved, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, about some serious issues going on, but Lord, also about the sureness of our victory and the sureness of our ability to stand. Lord, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And Lord, what a joy that is. I pray today that you teach us what this excellent spirit of Daniel was and that, Lord, you'd help us to apply it to our lives so that we might stand in today's Babylon no matter what the case. Father, if there's someone here today that's in bondage to sin, we pray that, Lord, you would reach down and break that bondage. 
Lord, there might be someone here who's in the depths of despair. And God, we pray that you'd remove their sorrow and lift their soul. God, we pray if there's someone here that's not saved, that today be the day. The day of their blessed salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel had overwhelming circumstances in his life. He was a Hebrew boy. Might have been royalty of some sort. But nevertheless, the enemy had come in. The Babylonians had come in. They had burnt the city. They had destroyed the temple. They had killed untold thousands. And they had taken Daniel prisoner. Daniel is traveling from Jerusalem to Babylon, not in first class coach (laughs) or coach. He's probably in a cage. He's been a Hebrew boy. He's only known Hebrew culture. And all of a sudden, he's being thrown into Babylon, literally. There's every language, there's people in every attire, there's every definition of morality. There's all kinds of mixed culture there. He must have been horrified. He must have been overwhelmed with sorrow. He must have been lonely. He must have been afraid. Now, beloved, I don't know what kind of overwhelming circumstances that you're dealing with having pastored a congregation just like this. Some of these folks were in my congregation, brother. Uh, I know there's overwhelming circumstances. Those are for sure in life. There's probably difficult people. I'm sure there's difficult people in your life. I don't know what those are in your life, and you don't know what those are in my life. I've had five sons. Can you imagine? Five sons. Joshua, Jeremiah, Jesse, Josiah... And Jackson Lee. (laughs) Four Hebrew boys and two Southern generals. (laughs) One's a preacher. One's a police officer. One's a businessman. Two were in college. One's had cancer to the point of death and survived. Another one just cut his finger off in a log chopper. And I could go on. (laughs) And that's just five boys. That's not pastoring a lot of difficult people. Or living through a lot of overwhelming circumstances. You don't know about my life. I don't know about yours. But what's sure is that God's servants will have these times. And there's probably some people in this auditorium who are having those times. Daniel was in Babylon. And man, they didn't treat him nice. They didn't say, Daniel, what can we get you? Daniel, what would you like? Daniel, welcome. Let us be hospitable to you. They they weren't concerned about him. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that Daniel was made a eunuch. It wasn't a choice. A lot of times when you were put in the king's household, that's what took place. You were going to be nothing but the king's servant all the days of your life. He never was married. He never had children. He never had owned property. He was never really at liberty. He was a slave. Maybe a glorified slave, but a slave nonetheless. We as Americans can't hardly imagine that. But that was the circumstances... In his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time whining sometimes. Remember the children of Israel? (laughs) They got let out of Egypt, and what did they start to do? Complain. Right away, they started to complain. Isn't that God's people? Oh, God, forgive us for that. 
But we don't really see a whole lot of that in Daniel's life. The Bible says that over the 70 years that we know about that he was there in Babylon, the five different kings that are mentioned, the seven different administrations that history tells us he was under, he all that time was lifted up as first president or third in the empire. It would be like someone being the vice president of the United States with different political parties and different wars and different problems and different growths in society and and different peoples and different strategies. It'd be like one guy being the vice president for 70 years, multiple administrations. Daniel was, with his own set of circumstances, that kind of guy. And we wonder, how does that happen? And the Bible tells us how that happens. It says, then this Daniel was preferred above presidents and princes because he was a good Jew lawyer. Is that what it says? <laughs> Is that what it says? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says because he had a lot of money and he was good looking. That's not what it says. It says he was preferred because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, this is not the Robert Schuller, blessed, happy-go-lucky spirit, you know. That's an external thing. And, and I think that's a good thing, and that works in a lot of situations. Just, you know, put a smile on your face and be of good cheer. You know, someday our basketball teams will probably play each other. And even though we're all sanctified in Christ, we'll be yelling at each other, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? And then Fostoria's going to say, no, 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 we got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit. How about you? As though somebody's got more of the Holy Spirit or something. I don't know. But that's not what's being talked about. Remember the cartoon Garfield? You remember Garfield had a pet dog named Odie? Remember Odie? And Garfield treated Odie horribly. Horribly. He would kick him and punch him and flick him and all these different kinds of things. And, and Odie would just be there. Just ready. Ready for the next kick. You know? Be happy attitude. That's not what this is. The Hebrew construct is saying that there was something in him that was more than human. In the previous chapters, even the pagans said, in him is the spirit of the gods. That was their understanding of it. There was something that made him preferred. It made him above even those that claimed to be God. An excellent And the Hebrew construct is the word noble spirit. Now, some people say that he may have been of noble propriety in Israel. But, beloved, when you and I are born again and we have the Spirit of God in us, does not God make us his children? Does not he give us his inheritance? Do we not then rule and reign with him forever? Yeah, we become royalty. He changes our mind. He changes our heart. He changes our wants from the inside out. And so Daniel was living in Babylon. Paris in the mid-1800s was a debauched place. And they, they called it, and there's literature that talks about Paris as Babylon. When Rome run over Jerusalem, the writers began to refer to Rome as Babylon. England, London, it was Babylon in the 
late 1800s, early 1900s, that was what their own literature referred to. Some people say America is like Babylon. You know, mystery Babylon of Revelation? The Babylon of old never died. Just kept re-upping different forms. Always pagan, always satanic, always men being self-interested, always the devil battling against God. And you know, that spirit is alive and well today. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And why America might not be the Babylon, there's much reason to say we definitely are a wicked Babylon. And that we are living in the midst of a Babylon. And that there is great overwhelming circumstances and difficult people and situations to deal with. But beloved, the Bible has given us a pattern to, in the spite of all this, be preferred above presidents and princes. To not make excuses with our overwhelming circumstances and difficult people. And to shine. You're making up vocabulary, preacher. I like that. Just make up vocabulary. Just own the vocabulary. That's what you got to do. Amen. Own the vocabulary. With an excellent spirit. Noble spirit. Knowing who you are and whose you are and what your inheritance is. And beginning to believe it and think like it and act like it. Not in haughtiness or arrogancy, but in humility and surety. An excellent spirit. What is this excellent spirit? It's interesting. After I published the book, Surviving This Babylon, it was out for years. And um, somebody had given one to Mike Pence. This was before Vice Presidency Days. And um, Atlantic Monthly Magazine last year did an article about Mike Pence and, uh, and basically, basically about his Christianity and how he likened himself unto Daniel in Babylon being preferred above presidents and princes. Now, I'm not sure that that came about because of me, and I'm not saying that I did. I just like to believe that. <laughs> My brother lives out in California. He's an MMA fighter, and uh, he knows that Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's way up in the arts, and uh, he actually works for Manny Pacquiao. Manny brings people over from the Philippines who are Thai boxers, and they need to learn the other arts, that is, mainly grappling. And so he hires my brother. My brother trains them, and then he, uh, as they're moving up, he sits in their corner, and he helps fight for them. And so uh, my brother's a Christian, and he goes to Manny's house, and they sing praise songs together, and they pray, and they do Bible study, and then they eat Filipino food. And then my brother's in great shape. He goes running with Manny and working out with Manny. He's had this relationship with him for years. And so he's always given all of my books to Manny Pacquiao. And over in the Philippines, there's pictures of Manny with surviving this Babylon. You know, Manny's a senator in the Philippines with a dictatorial Hitler-like president over there. And it doesn't matter what country you're from. It really doesn't. These things are universal. They don't change through time. So let's look at them. There's five things that will help you live above circumstances and people. There are five things that will help you be preferred above presidents. There are five things that will help you survive any Babylon, even the Babylon that we currently live with. Now, I have these things to share with you, but ultimately I have these things because I need them. Because <laughs> I want to be preferred above. Because I want to survive this Babylon. Because I want to transfer into whatever's next. I think there's five things here. I think you can memorize them. Number one thing is this, very clear. The first thing that will help you have a, uh, uh, an excellent spirit is this. A relationship with God. How's that? <laughs> 
I was waiting for something spectacular, preacher. You know what? Our relationship with God is spectacular. God Almighty and the counsel of His own will needed nothing but decided to make us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, and that word world is the word cosmos. didn't just love this terrestrial ball that he made. He loved the whole order of things, the whole divine cosmos, the divine order of things, right? He likes the fact that the, the moon goes around the earth, not the other way around. He likes the fact that the earth goes around the sun, not the other way around. He, he loves the fact that he made man and woman, and, and man and woman are supposed to be married, not any other definition. Amen? He, he loves the fact that, a, that a, a child in a womb is supposed to be safe in that mother's womb, and that mother's going to love that child and give her life for that child, not the other way around. But today we live in a, in, in a time, what, where God's divine cosmos and order is being reversed and flipped upside down. But God so loved his order, even though, it, we, even though we were out of order, that he sent his son to die for us. I love that. God cut a covenant in blood. Old Testament, Karath Barith. Like blood brothers. Covenant in blood. Remember when he cut a covenant with Abraham? Abraham gave these animals. Abraham got the animals. He cut them in half. He lined them out. There was a line of animals. There was a line of blood. He tried to keep the birds from getting off it. on it. He was waiting for God. He fell asleep. He woke up in a stupor. And there was God walking. And God crossed the line of blood, Karath Barith. Can I tell you something? These covenants are not covenants that God makes with man. These covenants are covenants that God makes with himself. God the Father and God the Son cut a covenant in blood. They made it between themselves. It is perfect. It can't be broken. It can't be thrown away. It can't be undone. And then he offered us the purchase of being in that covenant simply if we would have faith. We just have to believe. That's why that Hebrews passage in 11 is, by faith, all the covenants were between God and himself, and he allowed men to enter into those things by faith. God cut a covenant himself with himself with his own blood in order to fix the cosmos, even though we've turned to brown inside out. And he's offered it to us if we would just take it. God made all this in love. The whole thing's a love story. The whole thing's about him ultimately coming back and redeeming his bride. God's full of love. He loves you. Why wouldn't you take that? Well, preacher, I got such sin and I got such consequences to my sin. But God loves you. And he's overcome your sin. And he's overcome the consequences of your sin. He loves you. Take it. Receive his love. Take his love every day. It's like sun shining in. Amen. Daniel had overwhelming circumstances in his life, probably more than most of us, and yet he was preferred above presidents and princes. He was never in the daily doldrums because he had a relationship with God. God offered Daniel. Daniel had faith. Daniel had faith in God. I know what my situation says, but I know what the previous promises of Scripture say, and I'm going to believe them. Remember in the book of Daniel, he's reading the Scriptures, and he comes across... The book of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was the one that was there in the pit when Babylon was overrun. And he sees the prophecy of Jeremiah. And the promise in Jeremiah is that in such and such a year of King Cyrus, we're going to be back in the land. And Daniel happens to say, 
He didn't have a watch, but he said, boy, oh boy, that's now. He had prayed for it. He had believed it. The word of God was sure and true. Daniel had a relationship with God and he had faith. You know what faith is? Faith is just trust. That's what it is. It's trust. I used to have a bad habit. I don't do it anymore. I used to have a bad habit that I would sneak a bowl of cereal before bed. That can't be good. I don't know if it's sin, but it sure is a way to pack on some pounds. Amen? And having five boys, they would say, they would hear the crinkle. And they would say, Dad, can we have some? And I would say, no, it's not good for you. (laughs) So I would have to sneak. And when I would sneak, it means I didn't turn on the kitchen light. I would go in there and I kind of knew which cupboard to go in and fridge get. And I would get the materials. And then I would quietly open the drawer and I would reach in and I would grab a spoon. Couldn't see. It was dark. But I was good. One time I was in there and I was feeling that spoon and there was something kind of grody on that spoon. So I just set the spoon aside. I thought, I'll get another spoon. And I picked up another spoon and like the metal had a little ding in it like it would cut my lip off. And I don't want to do that. Put that there and I went and grabbed another spoon. You've got to understand, we're independent Baptist preachers. We don't have nice silverware. This is like garage sale stuff, right? So we, I grab another one and there's something crusted, maybe cereal from the previous night. I don't know. And I set that aside. I, I finally got it. I have my cereal. And I come in the next morning, and the sun's shining, everything's good. And I look, and there's those spoons there. And uh, none of them were trustworthy. None of them were trustworthy. I'd, I'd set them aside. And I thought, man, I, I sure hope that God's never just reaching down and finding me and saying, oh, not. Not Doug, not today. You see, having a relationship with God, we enter into it by his own covenant, a covenant that he has with himself that he offers down with me. He's trustworthy altogether. I trust him for my salvation, and I trust him for my life. But I wonder if he trusts me. Because a relationship does go two ways. See, Daniel, God said, Daniel today, Daniel now. If you want to have an excellent spirit, you've got to have a relationship with God by faith. But then you've got to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm going to keep myself ready. I'm going to keep myself on the shelf. I'm going to keep myself in the drawer. I'm going to keep myself ready for action. Whatever it is you have for me, Lord. Daniel had an excellent spirit because he had an everyday, right and ready relationship with God. Are you trusting God fully for your salvation for your sanctification, for your glorification, for your provision, for your joy, for love. you got to trust God. But are you trustworthy as well? I'm asking you, are you trustworthy? Can God trust Fostoria Baptist Church with the sword and the shield? Can, can God trust Fostoria Baptist Church with a trillion dollars? Boy, wouldn't that be something. Secondly, An excellent spirit is an enthusiasm, a holy enthusiasm about the things of God. Some pastors will tell me, Brother Lovac, I appreciate appreciate what you're doing, but, uh, you know, we're just about the gospel. 
And I, I get that. I was a pastor. I get that pastors. Pastoring is the hardest thing in the world. The only thing harder than being a pastor is being a pastor's wife. <clears throat> you understand the spiritual warfare. You don't understand the, the pressure of the mantle there. And I, I understand with pastors, and I'm always encouraged when pastors will take a deep breath and say, all right, I'm going for this. You know? But uh, the Bible says to preach the gospel, make disciples, and then what? Teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Jesus has commanded a lot of things. It's, it's the church's job to own the gospel, but it's the church's job to own what life is. It's the church's job to own what culture is. Culture is just what, people, what, the, what the people say about God. That's all the definition of culture is. But it's the church's job to get engaged in that. What about marriage? What about what is right? What is love? What is hate? D- Daniel was there. He could have just said, well, I'm just going to kind of hang back. But no, he was enthusiastic about the things of God. When they got there, they changed his name. They gave him a Babylonian name that was a pagan name. He didn't do anything about it, that, but they said, hey, we want you to take this Babylonian meat. Well, you know, the Jews couldn't be drunk. The Jews couldn't eat pork, shrimp, lobster. They couldn't eat the milk with the meat, with the beef. There was all kinds of things that they couldn't do. And that's all Daniel had known. And he knew that that was, that was something that we keep ourselves separate and pure to the Lord. It wasn't something necessary for his salvation. It wasn't gospel-like, but it was something that was of the Lord. You see, there are, there are some things that don't have to do with your salvation, but there are some things that have to do with your trustworthiness, and there are some things that have to do with the Lord. How about tithing? Is tithing something that's of the Lord? Yes or no? Okay, so then we should be enthusiastic about it. Is Lord's Day something that's of the Lord? The Bible calls it the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection, and people gathered and they worshipped. I have no problems with the Saturday Sabbath, but Christians still celebrate it on Sunday. So that's something to be enthusiastic about. How about missions? Missions something to be enthusiastic about. Hallelujah. How about children's ministry? Oh, no, it's not in the Bible. They stain the carpet and they punch holes in the wall and it's ungodly. Devils. Um, Yeah, there's lots of things for us to be enthusiastic about inside a church and outside a church. In other words, where you live and where you work is your mission field. And what, what is the culture at large? You're a part of the culture at large. If you become quiet about what you think about God, then you're you're giving in on the culture. Our forefathers didn't believe that at all. Baptist preachers and Baptist churches have suffered and fought for these things for ages. We should not stop. We should not fail them at this dark juncture. Daniel had a relationship with God and he had enthusiasm about the things of God. And uh, he said, I'm not going to eat that. And in fact, his enthusiasm was persuasive. Don't you think enthusiasm is persuasive? Did any of you doubt this morning that I question what I'm saying to you? No, you believe that I believe what I'm saying to you. Why? Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. En theos. In God. And we ought to be enthusiastic about church attendance. We ought to be enthusiastic about singing and worshiping God. 
We have to be enthusiastic about holiness. And, and you know what? You're, you're going to keep fighting battles in your life till the day you die. Get enthusiastic about it. <laughs> Amen? Don't get discouraged that you lose sometimes. Um, he was enthusiastic about the king's meat. And he was persuasive in it. And Melzar, the prince of the eunuchs, said, What are you doing, man? Eat the meat. And he said, No, we can't do it. Try us. We're going to fast. We're going to eat lentils. We're just going to eat green pea soup. You ever, if, you, if you eat green pea soup for 10 days, you would definitely lose weight, you'd probably feel better, and you'd stink. <laughs> That's true. And they did that for 10 days. And in 10 days, guess what? Their countenance was better. God was right. They were right. It had nothing to do with their salvation, but it had everything to do with their God. Don't, don't muddy those things. The gospel is the gospel, but living for God's living for God. Amen? There's some things you say, well, that's not, it has nothing to do with my salvation. No, yeah, you're right with that. But if that's your lowest common denominator, you're disobeying half of Scripture. We've got to be enthusiastic about godliness and God and the things of God and the Bible and preaching. We've got to be enthusiastic about these things. Personal Bible study, devotions, praying with your wives. Guys, the best way to pray with your wife is not to ask her permission. I'm, listen, I'm giving you some gold right here. I'm giving you, guys, I'm giving you some gold right here. And your wives are going to go home and say, Honey, he's right. I promise you about this. Okay? I probably, should, I probably shouldn't tell you I should make you buy the book on this one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do kid sometimes. I'm serious, but I kid sometimes. Do you know? God's given that woman to me. And I don't always say, honey, let's pray. Or, honey, do you want to pray? I just put my arm around her and say, Lord. Because I've been mandated to do it. We're one. I don't want my prayers to be hindered because I'm not right with God. And so, I'm just going to start praying. And she's acclimated to that. And can I tell you something? She loves it. She wants it. There's days where I'm carnal. Watching March Madness basketball. How can you be spiritual at a time like that? And then you forget, and you don't pray. But most days, the Spirit's having His effect on me, and I grab my wife's hand, and I say, Lord Jesus, I start praying. Men, just, you don't need permission to pray with your wife. You don't need permission from anybody. Start praying with her. Just start praying with her. She already knows what a goofball you are. She already knows all your sins. That has nothing to do with it. Amen? Go to God. There's nothing more intimate you know, I try to get my wife to talk sometimes. Honey, what do you think about this? Honey, tell me how you feel about this. And she's like, well, And I'm like, well, if you can't tell me, how am I supposed to know? But you know, when, I, when we start praying and then she starts praying, oh my, I get her whole mind, I get her whole heart, I get her whole soul. You see, I'm an imperfect man. Why should she trust me with all of her thoughts? But when she trusts her God with that and I get to be part of that, oh my. Okay, so that's a little bit of enthusiasm about the things of God. And what happened? He persuaded Melzar. Now, Melzar, listen, took a risk. He put his own head on, his, on a platter in doing this. How do you get preferred above presidents and princes if you don't believe that what you're doing is right and what you're doing is best for everybody and that everybody be, could be persuaded in that? I think everybody wants Jesus. That's the right idea. Everybody out there needs Jesus, and everybody out there wants Jesus, but they got devils in them. They got the ghosts of their fathers in them. They got their own pride in them. 
And you've got to work past those things. And how are you going to do that if not with enthusiasm? You can't say, well, here's a track. I don't think you read it, but that's not enthusiastic. Evangelism. By the way, evangelism. How about Arioch, prince of the guards? Listen, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were not known for their fondness of the Jews. Arioch, captain of the guard, had probably killed, I, I, probably killed all kinds of guys. Nebuchadnezzar probably said, Arioch, yes, sir, kill him. Arioch didn't say, sir, can you give me three justifications? Why? Arioch didn't do that. I kind of picture Arioch as one of you big, bad, ugly guys in here. Probably one eye was like discolored and a scar down like that. That's how I picture Arioch, right? I mean, if you're the king's bodyguard, Nebuchadnezzar's bodyguard, that's the kind of guy you are. Arioch, kill! And he said, nobody can interpret my dream. Arioch, kill all the prophets of Babylon. And Arioch went to Daniel. Daniel had an excellent spirit. He had the spirit of the gods. He had a relationship with God. He had an enthusiasm that even made Arioch believe that there might be forgiveness for me. And Arioch went to Daniel, and he didn't kill him. Like Melzar, he took his own head on his own platter, and he risked everything. And Daniel said, I'll pray about the interpretation. And God gave it to him, and Arioch said, King Daniel can do this for you. Now we're talking about moving Lansing. Now we're talking about people moving the governor. Now we're talking about people winning over the attorney general. Now we're talking about changing things, amen? Not by human prowess, but by an excellent, noble spirit of God in spirit of man. Relationship with God, enthusiasm about the things of God, a holy persuasiveness. Thirdly, an attitude above circumstances and people. An attitude above circumstances and people. Beloved, you don't know how many times I've been in the Mayo Clinic for surgery. You don't know the, the chronic disease that I've suffered with my whole life. You wouldn't even think that because that's not what I'm presenting. And yet it's crippling. I live in trouble and pain all the days of my life. But those are from God for me. Praise God for those things. Amen. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Don't pray. It's like telling me not to have a consciousness of what's right and wrong. Not to train my children that's what's right and wrong. Not to fight for my people, my country, for what's right and wrong. Not going to do that. That's what we believe in civil disobedience. The Bible says to suffer for well-doing, this is acceptable with God. So when, when, the, when the evil says don't do and you say I'm doing it. Then whenever you suffer, it's okay with God. And God knows. He delivered Peter from prison. An angel delivered Daniel from the mouths of the lions. Now the Bible says in the faith chapter that not everybody got delivered. <laughs> right? The Bible says and tradition says that it was Isaiah who got sawn asunder. But the tradition also says that the Holy Spirit was there whispering in Isaiah's ear as he got sawn asunder. And that he... Watched himself get sawn asunder. That's just tradition, but listen, I, I, I believe that God will make a way for you in those days when they come. The king came to Daniel the day after, and the Bible gives us the picture of him 
wringing his hands. What have I done? This law of the Medes and the Persians, what have I done to Daniel? This was so stupid. I got tricked into this stupid law. No one could do this. And I had to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And now i got all these fool people around me and I need Daniel. Oh, Daniel, has your God saved you, he says. And Daniel cries up from the lion's den. Darius, you dummy, I thought we were friends. That's not what he said. Get what he said. Can I step off the dais? Is that okay? Get this. Because this, you got to get this. This is the drama. Daniel, Daniel cries up to the king. Oh, king, live forever. Wow. Some of you have done art, sculpture, and you know that the word attitude really is an artist's term. When the artist paints a picture and he puts the person in their form, their face, their, their movement, it's called the attitude And you're able to tell a lot when you look at a piece of art or a sculpture about what's going on or what a person's thinking. Think about the Mona Lisa. I mean, millions of people. I went to Paris. I lined up and saw this thing, and you're looking at it. And you're honestly, there's so much ambiguity in the thing because you're saying, okay, is that a man or is that a woman? (laughs) Are they smiling or are they smirking? Are they good or are they up to something, right? And and that's that's the masterfulness of the attitude that was painted in there. That's the skill. But get this, the Lord painted Daniel into that lion's den. And he painted Daniel looking up, O king, live forever. You see, beloved, the Lord's painting us into a lion's den, but it'll be our opportunity to be painted with a fine attitude. O king, live forever. And that's an excellent spirit. A relationship with God, enthusiasm about the things of God, an attitude that's above circumstances and people. Proper balance is the next one. You know, we fundamentalists, we used to draw lines in the sand everywhere and we'd box ourselves in. I mean, we would fight over anything, everything, all the time, everywhere. And I'm not saying these weren't things that were supposed to be fought about. I've heard people say, you know, back in the day, we used, to, we used to fight over this dress code and that dress code. You know what was good about that fight? Is actually those old preachers that were standing on those dress codes knew that if we let go of those dress codes, we were going to let go of human sexuality. They knew if we let go of those dress codes, then a woman can dress like a man, and next thing she's going to think she is one. Today, we got white ladies thinking that they're black, Right? we got teenagers thinking they're animals. (laughs) we got people thinking that they're all kinds of things. So those fights were good in their day. we got fights today. We have to have a proper balance about our fights. There's some things worth fighting for, and there's some things worth drawing a line and dying for. Our forefathers thought that religious liberty was one of those things. They left their country. They left their citizenship. They turned their back on their king. They changed their earthly focus. And so Daniel knew where to draw the line. I'll let you change my name. I'll let you put these garments on me. I'll let you push me into this servitude. I'll let you do this. 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 But I'm not going to not pray. And I certainly ain't praying to you. There's a line. And I think today we need to really know where those lines are at. And that will help us have an excellent spirit.
the Othismus Declaration that I'm working with a number of evangelical leaders in the state to try to get 40,000 signatures about, and your pastor will be talking to you about that more in the future, I'm sure. Man, we argued over the verbiage. And ultimately, we argued over, and, and I was the King James advocate. Put the King James Bible in there. What's your problem? You know? And, uh, and, we, and we put that in there. It was worth me fighting for. I was fighting for, for you so that you had something to sign that you could sign. But you know, I signed the one they have online that wasn't King James because to me, that wasn't the issue there. That we're not making a statement about King James, not King James there. And I've already proven myself of being the biggest King James fanatic on the planet here in the state. You know that, Brother Henry. I'm the guy. Go look at my book table about that. 2011, our church spent $150,000 putting on the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible in Washington, D.C. Don't tell me I'm not a King James Bible. Amen? I took that into the White House. I took it into the Capitol. Chick-fil-A fed all of Congress so that I could show them the King James Bible. Uh, George Washington University, the most liberal university on the planet. I had three days of lectures, brought in the best King James guys from all around the world. Singapore, South Africa, India, all around the world, where the English language and the King James Bible had permeated culture. We celebrated that. Beloved, there's no bigger King James Bible advocate, either from the text issue or from the English issue or from whatever issue. I've lived it. I've fought it. I formed the King James Bible Research Council. We have annual meetings. We do publications. There's some back on the table. There's no bigger King James Bible advocate than me, but the Othamist Declaration is not really about that. So I know where to draw the line, and I know where not to draw the line. With religious liberty, we have some strange bedfellows. Do you know in the middle of May, May 5th, May 6th, I'm invited to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana to meet with five or 6,000 Lutheran ministers. Independent, fundamental Baptist, King James Bible. They don't like anything I believe or stand for. But I get to go talk to them about hate and religious liberty. If you want to be preferred above presidents and princes, you have to have a relationship with God. You have to have enthusiasm about the things of God. I'll not back down on those things. I will rib them for sure on their collars. I might wear one. <laughs> Just for fun, man. <laughs> um, Daniel knew where to draw these lines in Babylon. There were some Babylonian things that he didn't fight over, but there were some godly things that he did fight over. And the last thing is this. Stewardship. That the king might know no damage. Daniel might not have been a Jewish lawyer, but he was probably a good Jewish accountant. And the Bible says when he got lifted up, who did he lift up with him? Shadrach, Reshach, and Abednego. Babylon had a great governor in Daniel and great officers in these three men. Daniel saved himself, but he also saved his fellows. Daniel left a legacy that put in the... Persian high office, Nehemiah the cupbearer, Mordecai the doorkeeper, and Esther the queen. You see, he reaped for himself. By the way, relationship, enthusiasm, attitude, proper balance, and stewardship. Reaps. R-E-A-P-S. That's why I told you you'd memorize it. He reaped for himself. He reaped for his fellows. In our case, we reap for our family, our church our nation, 
our state if we have this excellent spirit. But ultimately, the greatest thing that Daniel reaped, preacher, is what you and I are about. We don't want to be self-interested. We want it to be about God. We want him to be worshipped. And what happened? Nebuchadnezzar and Darius wrote letters in every language. So this is the endorsement of Scripture in every language. They wrote letters in every language to all 127 provinces between the Nile and the Indus River, from Egypt to India, from Europe to Africa. The emperor's decree went out, and the emperor's decree said this, Daniel's God is God. Now that's the loudest thing I've said today, because that's the loudest things our excellent spirits need to say. I don't need anybody to think, Doug Levesque is great. That doesn't matter. That's only going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ. And all that graceness, I'll get to throw back at his feet. Daniel reaped with an excellent spirit for himself, for his people. But ultimately, he reaped glory to God. You know why you're here today? Not just here in church, but here on earth. You're here to reap glory for God. You're here to stand in such a way that you reflect God's glory back on him and reflect God's glory on other people. It's all about God's glory. That's what you're here. That's what it's about. Serve Christ with an excellent spirit. Survive Babylon. Transform Babylon. Thrive in Babylon. Win. Leave a legacy in Babylon. Joseph, the Bible said, had another spirit. Paul in Rome, I'm going to preach on tonight, had a fervent spirit. This message is repeated throughout Scripture in regards to you and I standing out and serving God in our day. I like, and I'll close with this. It's really fitting to close with Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. See if you can beat me there. Relationship, enthusiasm, attitude, proper balance, and stewardship. R-E-A-P-S. If you sow an excellent spirit, if you sow these elements and have an excellent spirit, you'll be preferred above presidents and princes. But not just reap for yourself, but reap for other people. Not just reap for your people. Because at the end of the day, American politics is secondary to God's glory. And he will get his glory. And that's what we're about. Proverbs 17, the book of wisdom says... He, verse 27, that hath knowledge, spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit, a noble spirit. If I talk to you as one having authority today, it's because I come as a prophet from God. I come as a child of God from my Father, speaking absolute truth with absolute assurity, no arrogancy and all humility, not for myself, but for you for us and for him. That's what an excellent spirit is. And beloved, every single one of you can let that excellent spirit shine towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your Sunday school class. Even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed as a man of understanding.